Welcome to our special monthly episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast. This month, we're featuring multiple guests speaking to how they've learned that God hears each and every one of our prayers, even the unspoken ones. We hope you find inspiration from these stories of praying people and how the very act of incorporating prayer into our lives has the ability to change our outlooks for the better. First up, we'll hear from Christian singer and American Idol alum, Danny Gokey. Prayer, I think, is our greatest weapon. Before we ever open our mouth and begin to put our opinions out there, prayer and working with God and being led by the Spirit are going to be intensely needed right now. Prayer has been one of those tug-of-wars in my life. For me, what I'm learning as I get older is that prayer is the number one thing. And I think I learned this through, you know, making mistakes and rushing into things. Oh, that looks like God. Let me run into it. And there's a lot of things that can be avoided if we pause and are sensitive to what God is doing and what God is saying and what, where God is leading. And so prayer is a thing for me that I will do throughout the day. I wish I was better at it. This is full disclosure. I like to start my day out on my knees, even if it's a quick prayer. But sometimes it doesn't happen. There's some days where I'm like, God, I don't think I've acknowledged you for the last few hours. And that kind of hurts my heart because I'm like, I'm, I want to do life with you. And I've pretty much ignored you. And so, you know, like Paul said, pray without ceasing. It is a relational approach of having conversation with God. And I really, it's probably one of my favorite things to do. Jesus Calling, April 25th. Make me your focal point as you move through this day. Just as a spinning ballerina must keep returning her eyes to a given point to maintain her balance, so you must keep returning your focus to me. Circumstances are in flux, and the world seems to be whirling around you. The only way to keep your balance is to fix your eyes on me, the one who never changes. If you gaze too long at your circumstances, you'll become dizzy and confused. Look to me, refreshing yourself in my presence, and your steps will be steady and sure. Man, incredible. I think, well, Hebrews 12 too is talking about keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and focusing our eyes on Jesus. What's that one song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim. I think focusing our eyes on Jesus, it allows to put things in their proper perspective. You know, David said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You think about that word magnify. And there's a magnifying glass that we can use in our world. Our focus is like a magnifying glass. We can hyper-focus and get close to that ant, like so to speak, with the magnifying glass, and it becomes so big in our eyes. And if our focus is off, we can misunderstand what God wants to do in our life, and we can miss the destiny that he wanted for us. And this is why we must keep, like when we talked about prayer, looking up and refocusing because this world is full of distractions. Financial planner, Randy Hartley. 
Uh, I've been married to my wife uh, this summer, will be 36 years. So it's the same job. I'm in the same job now that I started when I moved here 39 years ago in financial planning. And uh, really felt like I was living the American dream with three kids and the dogs living in the suburb and life was rocking along. And then all of a sudden, uh, some events happened and kind of turned our family into turmoil. And all of a sudden, our middle daughter during her teen years really started taking a left-hand turn and it's what no parent really wants. It's the drugs, the alcohol and rebellion. And we were desperate trying to figure out what was going on. And what had started as a slow turn into darkness just became, uh, boy, it became a, a runaway train. And, and so finally, one weekend, my daughter, Andrea, didn't come home on Friday. And for two days, we didn't know where she was. And, and I was a dad driving around at night looking for a 16-year-old. And I'll tell you, if you've ever been a dad driving at three in the morning trying to find out where your daughter is, it just doesn't get any darker than that. But thankfully on Sunday, finally, for one last time, I texted her and I said, Dear honey, I know you need help. Let mom and I help you. Please come home. And why, I don't know, but thank God uh, Andrea had turned her phone back on and replied within 30 seconds and said, You're right. I need help. I'm coming home. And that in itself was a blessing. So when she came home, we took her to a 30-day um, program just to help with drinking and addiction and helping us trying to get a handle on what was happening. The third week she was there, we went out there and uh, met with her at the counselor's office, and we were handed a letter. And the letter was, it's a letter no dad ever wants to read. It, it basically said, um, Dear Mom and Dad, uh, when I was 12 years old, I was molested at a public park in Brentwood. And um the rest of that day became a blur to me. When my daughter went through her trauma and I was a dad driving around at three in the morning looking for a lost soul, um, that was rock bottom for me. Um, but Lord, I have never prayed like I prayed in those moments. And it reminds us that we don't have to wait for those moments to lean into prayer, that God's there for us at all times. But as bad as that news was, it at least gave us a starting point to know what was happening and how to address it. So that became kind of our, our point of, all right, we, we know what the issues are. How do we go about addressing these issues? We immediately went into some intense um, family counseling and furthered her counseling. And, and one thing I tell people all the time is when you have somebody who's gone through trauma like that, and our family had gone through four years of trauma, uh, the counseling is not just for the person who went through the trauma. It's for the whole family because the whole family dynamic has been damaged more than you might imagine. So it really is a family dynamic that needs to be worked on with that counseling. And we were very fortunate to have some great counselors. And Andrea is making progress. But the other thing I tell people all the time is that progress is never linear. It's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. When Andrew was six years old, we went to an Amy Grant concert. And Amy invited us to look under our chairs and to find a brochure to sign up for Compassion International. And that Christmas is when my wife and I came home and we had each of our kids sign up to sponsor a child. And my middle daughter, Andrea, said she wanted to sponsor a child from Africa. And we were sent a Mahosa. And for 10 years, we sponsored that child. And I would like to think that God knew and started laying that path way before we ever knew it was possible that this is our way out. This is our way of getting past the trauma and the pain that our family had gone through. And when I got home and I saw that letter, 
for some reason, I picked up that letter and I said, that's it. I'm taking my daughter to Rwanda. And I tell people all the time, God knows why I thought that was an answer. But thankfully, God knew why that was the answer. You know, when you're broken and then you're in the dark place, sometimes it feels like you can't ever move forward. But but I'm here to tell you, that's just a chapter in your life. That's not the end of your story. That's just a chapter. And my book, Beautifully Broken, if it was just broken, I wouldn't want to tell the story. But we have a Lord and Savior who can take any amount of brokenness and he can put those pieces back together again and make it beautiful. Managing editor of the Catholic Women's Ministry, Blessed Is She, Nell O'Leary. Every day at Mass, we have certain readings from the Bible. And we could just write little reflections on those readings from the Bible. And I know these other women who are blogging, and they could kind of cobble something together here. So in the beginning, it was just very grassroots. There were, I think, 20 writers who said, sure, it was all volunteer we hadn't met each other, most of us. It was just in emails and in a little Facebook group. And that grew from inviting women into a free email every day into the Word, to read the Word of God, to, to hear some other woman's story about how that Word affected her, just short, you know, like 300, 400 words. That has grown into an international women's ministry with, my goodness, we have, gosh, tens of thousands of women who receive our daily free email still. And we have over 45,000 women in regional Facebook groups all around the world. We encourage women to get together for blessed brunches. We have hundreds and hundreds of those a year where we provide them with conversation cards and and encourage them to open their door and, and meet the women in their area. We have retreats. We have little revival nights around the country. It's really nothing that we could have planned. I, I've been so lucky to work alongside Jenna and, and help help support her and her dream and where the Holy Spirit's leading her. But I just, I have to laugh. Like, this is not, this wasn't like, you know, a business plan. We sat down seven years ago. This is what you're going to do. It, it really has evolved over time. There's a beautiful staff of, of eight women who work consistently and then 40 devotional writers who write every day. And we're just so humbled by what the Lord is doing with our meager offering. The stories we hear from women who encounter Blessed Is She, whether it's our Instagram account or our daily devotion emails, they kind of they kind of blow my mind. They, they kind of, they blow my socks off to think that people who who had never encountered a relationship with Jesus are coming back to their faith. They're going to church regularly. They're reading the sacred scripture. They're, they're baptizing their children. They're, they're seeking healing and community when they thought that there wasn't a place for them. Uh, I mean, the emails and the messages we get are are so numerous, I, I can't even quantify them. Just to hear how God is moving through us in people's lives. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, you know, I, I, I'm reading this book, Jesus Calling. You might really enjoy it. It's, it's not Catholic, but it just has this incredible Christian perspective on God's call in our life and, and listening to him. I thought, oh, okay, I'll check it out. So she lent me her copy and just flipping through and seeing how women are being met in the pages, but also just having this presence when you're paying attention with a devotional book, it just, it kind of hones your attention on God's work in your life. You start seeing it more. You start recognizing when he's, when he's there, the opportunities that are coming up. And instead of thinking, oh, this is all happenstance, you realize, no, that, 
the Lord is at work in all these little ways. So I think Jesus Calling is such a beautiful book in a way to help women just enter into that with greater trust. We're his beloved daughters. My worth and value are just not contingent on all these external things in my life that I thought I had control over to make myself look like this capable, competent woman who was lovable and successful and and worthy and all these things. To realize, like, I, I don't even have control over any of this. That's not why I'm lovable. I'm lovable because my worth and value are something no one can take from me. Doesn't matter if I'm like covered in baby spit up, I haven't washed my own hair, like the kitchen floor is disgusting, I haven't answered an email day, like that, that's not my value. And I just don't have to pretend anymore. So it's scary, but I can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you gotta help me out here. You gotta take the reins, you gotta take over, you gotta guide me with your spirit. Like. I can't do it on my own. It brings us to our knees in a way that we wouldn't have if we hadn't had that. And to see how he did have this plan for me to happenstance meet Jenna Gizar and happenstance fall into this blessed is she managing editor role that's grown and grown. And and now it's an incredible job I can do from home with my kids. I travel with, I've got a little baby right now. He comes along when we go on retreats and he just gets in a little pouch and nurses and is the happiest clam to think If I had known that seven years ago, oh, someday you'll do something that you'll really love. I wouldn't have learned the important lesson of just being trusting and and satisfied with what God had in front of me. Holly Singletary, wife of country music singer, Daryl Singletary, who tragically passed away in 2018. We were married 10 years before we actually had children. And I think we both were just enjoying our careers so much. And he was a really great dad. He was hands-on. He changed diapers. He, he did the dirty work too. So it was really sweet to watch because he, I think our role of waiting so long prepared us for a different kind of parenting. I felt like we had a lot more patience and we appreciated some of the moments maybe that we would not have appreciated earlier on in life. You know, like touring never stopped for him. And a lot of times he would make it back home for Sunday morning and we would go to church. And that was our favorite day because dad came home on that day. And then for the kids, it was the day we would go to dinner after church. It was like it was a treat. But we just really, we worked really good together. We just kind of had a system and But there were times when, you know, we would be sad because Dad's leaving on Thursday and we're bummed, you know. But he would always say, but yeah, I get to be with you at home for four days. And a lot of dads don't get to do that. You know, he would lead us in prayer. We would do devotionals together. And that kind of spilled over into the kids as well. We really fit in there with that church and that group. We're still there. The kids and I still go. And they were really such a huge blessing to us when Daryl passed away. Talk about stepping up and stepping in and just very thankful to have that body to kind of carry you. We cry together sometimes. We tell stories a lot. And so for us, I feel like, I feel very blessed to have his music. And I saw that really early on with the kids. Like they have their little iPads and their iPads are connected to Daryl's phone. So all of Daryl's love for music, not just his songs, but all those old songs that he loved, you know, I catch them listening to, or 
he's on YouTube a lot, so we'll pull up, especially the talking videos, like we love those because he'll tell a story and we get to hear his voice. So we talk a lot about that and how blessed we are to still have that connection, like he's still here. He'll always be here, but those are really things I'm thankful for, that we still get to hear that voice and that music and the kids really eat that up. I'm just real honest with them. And I feel like for us, that's really the best way because I want them to feel like they can ask me anything. I don't want them to ever feel like, oh, I don't want to talk about dad because it may make you cry. And so I tell them it's okay to cry. We have good and bad days and some days we miss him more, especially on those special days or special moments or just an everyday moment. I'm like, it's okay to be sad. But one thing I tell them, it's not okay to stay there. I don't want you to stay there. I don't want that to turn into bitterness and anger and mad. And so I think we're kind of more, I guess, a cup half full, not half empty. And so that's where, you know, we, I guess, gratitude and um, a lot of that, I feel like comes into place for us for the third year of just now we're dealing. And I don't like to say moving on, but we're moving forward. marriage counselor, Crispin Mayfield. In the church, how we approach relationship with God is like what we know. We try to read books, we read theology, and we we think that that's how we relate to God. But the science actually shows us that the way we relate to God is just the same way we relate to everyone else. It's in this part of our brain that isn't really connected to the theological facts we know. It's connected to intimacy, feelings of safety, Do I have a deep felt belief that God is there for me and God cares about me? Or is there this feeling that's there that's like, I don't know if God really likes me or God really cares about me or God's always disappointed in me. And a lot of times it can be hard to give air to those feelings. It can be hard to recognize. If I can understand my attachment style and how I relate to others, might I start to notice, oh, I also relate to God in this way. Even though I know the theological truth that God is always there for me, it kind of feels like I need to keep God around, like I need to do the work and I end up being exhausted. And so I think for me, learning about attachment science, it really helped me understand, yeah, there's not such a big separation between how we approach God and how we approach the rest of our relationships in our lives. So we have this God-given drive to connect with others and with God, and we'll do whatever we can to get that connection. However, if it feels like I can't just easily regularly get that connection with the people that are important to me, we come up with these different strategies that turn into these different styles of relating. And so we have these different ways of relating with God. And when we look at the science that's there, when we've studied relationships, we can actually take that science and look at how does this science help us understand the ways that we relate to God. And so we want closeness with God. And actually, there are these predictable patterns of how we try to get it, especially depending on what beliefs we've been told about God. Unfortunately, for me growing up, a lot of what I ended up doing was, even if I was spending time with God, it was always 
around this idea of I need to hear something or I need to learn something, I need to take something away from it. And so though, even though it was just time with God, it always had this goal to it. And so I've been learning a lot about Sabbath and a lot about this idea of just being with God, not worrying so much about if I'm getting it right, not worrying as much about my behavior and focusing on the fact that I'm I'm a beloved child of God and how do I let that be my identity, not the dependence on if I'm doing it right or if I'm doing the right things. And so what I've been doing recently is I will set a timer for if I have 10 minutes, I'll have 10 minutes and I'll say, God, I'm giving you this time. I'm not going to force anything to happen. I trust that if I give this time to you, that you appreciate that because you like me and that I can just spend this time reminding myself that I'm loved by you. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to produce anything out of this. And so that's been a way of practicing Sabbath for me. This is a passage from Jesus Calling for June 2nd. Relax in my healing, holy presence. Be still while I transform your heart and mind. Let go of cares and worries so that you can receive my peace. Cease striving and know that I am God. Do not be like the Pharisees who multiplied regulations, creating their own form of godliness. They got so wrapped up in their own rules that they lost sight of me. Even today, man-made rules about how to live the Christian life enslave many people. Their focus is on their performance rather than me. It is through knowing me intimately that you become like me. This requires spending time alone with me. Let go, relax, be still, and know that I am God. I actually really like to think about Pharisees often, and I like to call them religious leaders because it's not just the Jewish religious leaders who do this. We do this in the church all the time, like the passage talked about. But if I gave these religious leaders the benefit of the doubt, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get connection with God. And the way that they're doing it ends up harming themselves and in others. But we can see that they're so desperately trying to follow the rules to keep that closeness. And I think that has been transformative for me to recognize that the more I try to keep closeness through following the rules, the less secure I actually feel because I never get that chance to, to be able to test the relationship. And I never get a chance to see that even if I fail at everything, God is still there holding me. As I'm continuing to do my own work, I've been trying to pray very honest prayers. And so um, sometimes that means saying to God, I really want to trust you, but there's still this part of me that feels like God is just waiting to punish you. God is disappointed in you. So I'll tell God about that part and say, it's still hard to trust that you're safe. And I know that God can handle that, that God can hear that. and Actually, there's research that shows having those conversations in human relationships builds trust. By being able to say those things out loud, 
they lose their power. And I believe that it's the same thing with God. And so I've noticed as I've been trying to have very honest prayers that there is power in that and there's increased security and feeling closer and feeling connection and knowing that those things might even be there some days and that's okay. God can handle it. God's still there. Journalist Diane Derby, who spent every Tuesday meeting with Pearl Harbor survivor Jim Downing, who inspired her with his faith. Slowing down is really hard for me, but Jim taught me that the way you begin and end your day sets the tone for everything. And so he began his day every day in prayer and ended his day every day in prayer and reading the Bible. And I try to live that in my day now. It's a little bit challenging when you have a five-year-old, but it's been really delightful lately to share with her Jesus Calling and just started that with her thinking, I think it's time. She can handle this now. She can understand. But I think that is what Jim taught me is the way that you start and end your day makes such an impact on your life. He taught me that a meaningful life comes down to very simple things. It's a meaningful relationship with God, with family, and with friends. And if you get those three things right, you have it made. And that is what I have spent the focus of this part of my life since I met Jim on achieving, having those meaningful relationships with friends, having those meaningful relationships with family, and having those meaningful relationships with Jesus. It's changed my life. Jesus listens February 20th. My loving Lord, satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I may sing for joy and be glad all my days. I have sought satisfaction in a variety of ways, many of which were hurtful. I've discovered that even good things can fail to satisfy me if I elevate them above you. So I come to you this morning with my emptiness and my longings. As I sit quietly in your presence, communing with you, I ask you to fill me up to the full with your limitless love. I delight in pondering how wide and long and high and deep is this vast ocean of blessing. Finding my satisfaction in you above all else provides a firm foundation for my life. By building on this solid foundation, I can be joyful and confident as I go through my days. I know I will continue to encounter hardships because I live in such a terribly broken world. Yet I can count on you to guide me along my way as I cling to you in trusting dependence. Lord, you make my life meaningful and satisfying while I'm traveling toward my ultimate goal, the gates of glory. In your glorious name, Jesus, amen. Every day I tell the stories of just how broken our world is, yet I know I am so broken too, so broken. And this passage reminds me that clinging to Jesus is the way out of the suffering, the pain, the shock, the loneliness we all face. And it also reminds me that He is what makes life meaningful and satisfying, not what I've accomplished or done in my life. Jim's words resonate with so many people that I know what he did with me is multiplying endlessly 
in our community endlessly through the world, through the stories that I share about him. Listening was what he loved to do best. He would stay up till all hours of the night if a college campus asked him to come speak, just to hear the questions that students asked and the things that were meaningful to them that they wanted him to answer. And so he was the busiest man I know and the most intentional man I know. And yet he said yes to every opportunity because he knew that was a chance to bring more people to Jesus, to make them feel heard, and most importantly, to make them feel loved. Country music artist Chris Jansen and his wife Kelly. So like prayer is everything to me. Prayer is like the only thing that I have to lean on besides my wife and kids, right? And they're just humans, so you can only lean on them so much. You can give everything to the Lord. That's what it says in the Bible, so you have to believe it, right? I, I figure it's really simple. We only have a few little instruction guides of what to follow, so either do it or don't. And it's really simple. You either lay it all over or you just give a little tiptoe. And that's okay if you just give a tiptoe, if that's comfortable where you're at. But man, when you give it all over, it's unbelievable. I think through our family, it gives us all peace, knowing that God is always there and you can talk to Him no matter where you are. It gives confidence, it gives peace. The power of prayer, I mean, we do it before our kids get out of the car in the mornings. We hold their hands and we pray. It might be three or it's very quick, but it's a prayer. <laughs> she helped me with that, to be real clear, because when we first got together and still now, a lot of times over the last 11 years, I'll be like, do you know, do you think God's got it in reference to whatever it may be, music, singles, it doesn't matter what it is. Do you think God's got it? She's like, are you crazy? Of course. And it's so true. This book, this Jesus Calling, this exact one, actually, and you can tell we've definitely used it. After he started his record deal, right after we'd gotten married, he was at a really weird spot. Just, you know, sometimes record deals and the business is harder than it looks from, you know, you think, oh, it's just music. But there's a lot that goes into it, and there's a lot of imaging and things that they do. Anyway, he was miserable, to say the least. Oh, yeah. And he would call me from the road and literally I would read this to him in the mornings before he went out to do what he was doing. And I think it brought him a lot of peace, right? Oh, like yeah. that was part of our first six months of dating. That's how I personally, aside of Kelly, ever even heard about Jesus Calling is because she was reading it to me. You know, since 2001, I've been a Christian and uh, or an actual believer that is, you know, and before that it was so wish-washy that I didn't even know what to believe, honestly. And I found, actually Christ found me, you know, April 13th, 2001. So that was good in Shelbyville, Tennessee at First Baptist Church. But yeah, I've been a believer ever since. But like, you know, when you become a believer and then you, you know, and you're a young guy or, or a young girl, whatever, you know, you, you wander through losing faith and all that. And I certainly had many times when I met Kelly, like she was super strong in faith. And I was like, dang, like win, win. I mean, <laughs> awesome. I mean, she gets it. You know, I saw God when our children were born. I saw God when we got married. I saw God when I was sleeping in the back of a car. I mean, I've seen him in so many things. I see him all around me and it's such a powerful thing. That's where it comes from. I mean, how could you deny it? 
One of my continuously things that I pray about a lot is that that God opens the doors and that God leads the ship and that we're not really leading it and that we remember that and we just let him control it and whatever he has is the best interest for us and that's great and he's never let us down yet so I just I have to believe in that and I believe I do believe in that and I don't I don't doubt that Thank you for listening to this special monthly series as part of the Jesus Calling podcast. Be sure and follow the Jesus Calling podcast so you can hear the full stories from each of these guests. And also make sure you get these special bonus episodes each month. For more information on Jesus Calling and Sarah Young, please visit JesusCalling.com or visit us on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.